Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, and my co-host, Stephen Gillespie. Stephen, this is a little bit new for us. So we are not going to be having a guest on these podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, This is going to be a series that we're launching from now all the way through till the conclusion of the 2022 NBA draft. This is our big board series. We know the people love big boards. We know we got, we got to talk about rankings as often as we possibly can. So I thought, why just do two podcasts going over our final boards when we could essentially make it a series and that way we can break up our boards into chunks. We can talk about guys as we go in a little bit more detail. We can stop and talk about more guys than just having to run one through 60. And maybe we stop and park on a few guys because we only have so much time to work with in a podcast. So I think this is going to be very engaging for our audience. We'll be able to publish these sections of our big boards on social media as we're sharing these podcast episodes as well. So everybody will be able to follow along for sure. But in the spirit of letting the quote unquote new guy go first, we're going to be running, <laughs> we're going to be running through Steven's board first on this podcast series. So over the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at his top 60 in chunks, like we said, and we're going to break everything down for the audience. Why certain guys are where, why some guys might be higher, why some guys might be lower. We're just going to, we're going to talk about it. I don't, I don't know if we're going to debate a ton but we're just gonna we're gonna have we, we might i don't know we're gonna yeah, have a conversation knows? right yeah but that, that that's really the whole the whole point of this uh we will will i have a little more time as steven said to to get some intel on, on some of these players and maybe make a few changes possibly but i think steven and i agreed we we have the film we've seen mm-hmm. enough at this point really we we have the information in front of us to make final big boards and honestly when you're talking to scouts who do work for NBA teams or, or other types of clubs or in other private scouting services, a lot of these guys do have their boards done. Uh, in most cases, even before the final four and then the bulk of the NCAA tournament, but certainly by now, a lot of these boards are finalized. It's just minor changes being made from this point on just due to some players not being in the draft whatever the case may be. And there's obviously different deadlines for those decisions to occur. And we're actually recording on, the most important one, in my opinion, today, this is the, the early entry deadline. So we did want to say at the top, there may be a slight adjustment in Steven's mm-hmm. top 60 by the time we record the episode next week, because he does have Caleb Houston as a part of this top 60. And at the time of recording at 7.09 Eastern time on Sunday, April 24th, Caleb Houston has not made a decision whether he's going to be in the draft or coming back to school. We would have hoped by recording this in the evening, giving Caleb some extra time to mull over his decision. Maybe he would have done <laughs> us a favor, but he he did not do that. So we may make an adjustment next week. But in the meantime, he is not going to be somebody we're talking about on this. This is 60 through 45. So as Steven's done in the past with his big board, this is kind of his chance to, to lead this podcast, take it away. I'm, I'm a passenger. I will love to give my thoughts as we talk about these guys, but I want this series to be Steven's set of shows. I want him to lead this. So without further ado, Steven, take it away, man. Well, hey, thanks, Nathan. I appreciate it. And uh, it's an honor to be able to – I've said this before. I've kind of taken my foot off the gas on this. But the fact that I'm a part of Draft Deeper has just been an absolute thrill. Like we've had a, a great few, you know, group of guests come on the show recently. And this has just been a fun ride, man. So 
I'm excited for the first ever unveiling of my big hey, board here on hey, the show, man. It's been you've awesome. Earned, you've earned this, Steven. You have you have earned this opportunity. You've earned the part to not only be a part of Draft Deeper, but also make your big board one of the big boards on Draft Deeper. You deserve to be featured. So you you put in all the hard work, man. Let's let's reap the rewards. Let's let's talk about these guys. All right, man. I appreciate it. And we'll get right to it. So before I even get into the 60 through 45. I want to say that I'm looking at my list of 100 that I had and looking at some of the names that withdrawn that I would have originally had in my top 60 if everybody would have gone in the draft. I had, great Caleb, place Love. To start. I had Caleb Love at 60. I had Mike Miles Jr. at 59. And I had Jaime Hawkins Jr. out of UCLA at 55. All three of those guys were in my top 60. There were a few other players that I had in my top 100 that decided to go back to school, you know, looking at Alex Fudge, Oscar Shibway, Tyrese Hunter, Terrence Shannon Jr., Rocco Perkasin, and Kendrick Davis, who, you know, friend of the show, uh, Rashad Phillips had, was was given the honor to be able to announce, you know, Kendrick Davis's um, decision on where he wanted to go, leaving SMU to, to Memphis. So shout out to RP3 here on the show. Absolutely. So without further ado, Nathan, we'll get into the 60 through 45 and popular pro prospect here at No Ceilings, number 60, Hyung Jung Lee out of Davidson. And throughout this whole process, Nathan, I've had a hard time like pinpointing where I want to have him because we're talking about a guy who on his best season could be a 50, 40, 90 guy, um, very efficient shooter, more than just a standstill park you in the corner shooter. I love him off of movement. He has some good passing ability as well. Uh, defense is where he's going to have problems in yep. the NBA. Ball handling is okay, I feel like, at the collegiate level. But at the NBA, I don't think he's probably even going to be average at his position. So you got a guy who can cut, who can shoot, and who can pass. But when he has to make a, a snap decision at the next level, with making a dynamic play with the ball in his hand and defending at his position, I feel like he's going to struggle. But overall, I mean, we've seen teams work wonders with guys who can shoot either stationary or off the move. And who knows, like it depends on the spot. If he ends up on like a Miami team where we've seen how they work with, you know, three point shooters and they got the defense to kind of mask him around. I feel like he has a shot. So that's why I have him at 60. Nathan, what do you think about Lee? I mean, you, you, you mentioned a good point in if you were to end up in Miami, like could he play a role for a team that's perennially in the playoffs? Like, do, would you compare him well or favorably, I should say, to a Max Struess? Like that, mm -hmm. that for me is really where some of that falls apart because Struess is a big, muscular guy, maybe not your top shelf athlete, but he's built very well to hold his mm -hmm. own against multiple positions. It's not just about the shooting with Struess. Um, I, I would much rather have somebody like him on, on my team, at least right now, versus a young, young Lee. I mean, he, he like you said, he's 6'7", right, has has good tools to him in terms of his size, his, his standing size, his versatility as a shooter, as a cutter, as a play finisher in some respects. He's an underrated passer. But what about that will actually be able to translate to the NBA level? I think you, you hit the nail on the head about the ball handling ability. He's a little stiff. He's a little upright, mm -hmm. um, which usually is not something you want to say about a wing. Yeah. <laughs> in the NBA to, to say the least, but I think having him in the back end of a top 60 is, is a safe play. In my opinion, I don't even know if he's going to be in my top 60. Uh, I, I really don't know. There's some other names that some of them we're even going to talk about a little later on in this podcast. There's just a number of guys who have moved themselves 
into the conversation now that we know that they're likely going to not only declare, obviously, at the early entry deadline, but stay in the draft. I like I like a number of guys more. We'll see where we'll see where Lee shakes out. But regardless, I mean, I think you and I agree he's a prospect. We're just not mm-hmm. valuing him around like that that first round type of conversation. Yeah, and it's the efficient shooting and the intelligent play, you know, um, understanding of an offense that I think NBA teams could work with. Like, there's something there that an NBA team can use. It's just how high do they value that in comparison with some of these other players? Yeah. Any, anytime you shoot the ball, like he does, he has to be on the board. So yeah, you have to at least have them, have them in consideration. So we'll move from one shooter to another shooter who I think is obviously a better playmaker, obviously a better player with the ball in his hand, similar to Lee. He is a little bit more on the slight end of his frame. And I do think that he's a better positional defender, but you know, age, things like that are probably going to affect on how teams are looking at him. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes higher. It's just that, Nathan, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but around 20-ish to about 45, even on down to 60, like the the variance in talent, like the margin of talent between these prospects isn't very significant at all. So I have Tevin Brown here at 59, and I wouldn't be surprised if he goes higher. You know, the the shooter out of Murray State, uh, pretty athletic, but again, he's pretty slim. So I don't know how he's going to defend at the next level. Um, maybe that athleticism kind of helps make up for it. A la like maybe a Will Barton type player at the NBA. But, you know, I like the dynamic shot creation ability that he has. Um, playmaking is there. Defense is kind of sneakily there. Um, but again, at the NBA level, I don't know how that's going to translate. But I have Tevin Brown at 59, Nathan. Yeah, teams teams generally, for whatever reason, and, and we've had this conversation, you and I, but we even had it with Rashad when we were talking about Kendrick Davis. Similar similar yeah. line of thinking. These older guards, teams just don't generally want to take swings on them um, in the second round. And there's there are other politics and other conversations that obviously go into actually making that second round pick, as you and I are well aware, being, being mm-hmm. around the draft circle. But it's it's the age is definitely a factor he has the good positional size that was a great call out the playmaking ability is there but he's not he's not a high level passer you know what i mean like like 3.1 assist to 1.8 turnover it's not like he has a a purely one-to-one assist to turnover ratio but he's not he's not that difference maker in terms of his passing he's 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 an electric guard electric athlete he's a shooter he, he's one of those guys who can give you a change of pace at the guard position off the bench, give you a little more scoring pop. But when we start talking about it, does he slide up into a top 40 or a top 35? Like, do you see a starter outcome for him in the NBA? I don't see a starter outcome for him. Can he absolutely be a rotational player in the league? Is he good enough? Yes, which is why I, I think having him anywhere in a top 60 is good. Back end of the second round is probably where I'm going to finish on him. So I don't. Don't got anything for you there, man. I think it was a great slot. I appreciate that. So we'll move on now to the Colorado prospect, Jabari Walker. Now, we've had a chance to talk with, uh, you know, Ursuline Demir, who came on the podcast, and he's a little bit higher on Jabari Walker than we are. And there's a lot to like about him. You know, he's got the bloodline factor, the, the basketball DNA, you know, with father playing in the NBA. Didn't really shoot it well. A lot of his baskets kind of came from bully ball, and we know that that's a difficult translation, especially with a player built like him. You know, he's athletic, he's very strong, but you know, he gave you a lot of minutes at the four at the or at you know in college, and I don't know if he's going to be able to kind of 
you know, Julius Randle his way into baskets at the NBA um, with his play style. And a lot of assists uh, of his assists came from, let me kind of work the defense in, uh, send some help over, and then I'll kick it to a guy kind of right in front of me. I don't think that he's got like dynamic playmaking, but I do love his defensive potential. He is, like I said, a very strong athlete, very long, uh, competes on the defensive end, competes on the glass. And if you're going to get any minutes in the NBA as a back end of the second round guy, one thing that you have to be able to do is you have to keep your guy from scoring buckets. And that yep. might be what Jabari Walker does at an initial level. I don't know what his offensive role would be other than maybe just kind of like a screen man on the second unit. So I think teams are going to value his maturity. They're going to value the fact that, you know, his family has connections to the NBA. And typically those are a safe bet if you're wanting to kind of fortify a roster moving forward. So that's why I have Jabari Walker at 58. I just don't see him being able to do too much off the bounce. He's not fluid. Yeah. We've talked about it um, with, with multiple guys, as well as I even had that conversation with Sam Vecini when he was on the pod as well about that, that sort of mobility hold back with him it makes him less appealing of an offensive prospect. I understand all the defensive things. He can be a defensive piece for an NBA team, but if you're out there for your defense, that's great. You can maintain an NBA job for years. We've seen that with multiple players, but in terms of an extended role or a starter spot, you have to be able to do something to get buckets. When a play breaks down, the ball swings around you were seeing in the playoffs right now. Can you make a play? Or you're not able to make a play. Jabari Walker, somebody who's probably going to have to have a play made for him. And unless he's really able to, to nail that three-point shot, which this year he was a 35% or close to a 35% yep. three-point shooter. But, you know, add volume in pressure situations. Do we really trust him to knock that shot down on a consistent basis? If you don't, and he's primarily like a role man type of finisher, I, I don't know how much starter quote unquote value he's going to bring to, to the NBA. Now you and I could be wrong about that. Teams could value his rebounding a lot more. Mm -hmm. They could value that he was still able to get to almost 15 points per game for, for Colorado in the PAC 12. I just don't see how those numbers carry over and ultimately translate and become the same at some point for an NBA team. So that I, yeah. I, I don't fault you. And, and here's the thing, too, is, you know, a lot of the reason why I feel like he was able to get buckets in college is that he played next to a stretch five, and that's not a guarantee at the NBA. Like, if fives in the NBA at, at their absolute peak value, they can take guys out on the perimeter and do some damage. But, again, I don't know if it, – it's going to be very fit-dependent, and we can make that same case for every other I know, second round. And I mean, I know Urson didn't and want to entertain the idea when I brought it up. I, I still think if somebody, like – is in on trying to make him a legitimate part of the rotation. I think somebody's going to give him a crack at small ball five minutes. That's just yeah. honestly how I feel about him. I think that they would have to, and I think that he would have to improve his strength and, uh, you know, have to polish up his post game a little bit, which is why, you know, I'm a little bit lower on him, but you know, at his high it's end caught outcome, in between positions, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough place to be. Yeah. And so, but I, again, you know, we've seen NBA teams take chances because of your last name and, <laughs> you know, sometimes more so than not, I mean, it works out, you know, more times than not, unless you're like a brother, you know, like shout out to Taylor Griffin, you know, the, the one year that he got to spend in the NBA because he's related to Blake. But, you know, I mean, teams take chances on guys like this. I don't think at the at the back end of the second round, I don't think that that's too wild of a swing. So, Nathan, we'll move on here to prospect 57 on my board. Julian Champagny. 
And this guy has the potential, Nathan, to completely outplay where I put him. And I get that and I understand that. You know, you got a guy who is the ultimate heat check player. He's got the size that you want. He, at, at the collegiate level, he can defend too. Like if you look at his numbers, he does have, you know, the stock numbers that aren't going to blow you away. But you could talk yourself into like, okay, this is a three and D prospect due to his size. Can he play the three and the four? Uh, Maybe even a big lineup play him at the two. Uh, And I think that those are all viable options. But to me, Nathan, I get scared when I just see volume score. And based on the film that I've seen, I don't know. Volume shooter. I'm not even going to call him a scorer. That's, and I think that's where it breaks out for me. But go elaborate on that. Yeah, volume shooter. Like I always say that he's the guy uh, at your high school that walks in and shoots a basketball with a backpack on. Like he just, he doesn't care. <laughs> just like he'll, he'll have slides and a backpack on and he'll just shoot and make, make open shots. But whenever he gets chased off the line, that's where I get scared, Nathan. And we could have made that same argument for Jabari Walker previously. Like it's, it's not enough in the NBA to be a three and D. Like uh, I even wrote about it in one article that I did on Wendell Moore is that you have to be a three, meaning that you shoot the three. You have to be an and, meaning that you can't, like you have to do more than just shoot the three. You have to be able to put the ball on the ground and make an intelligent read. Or can you even attack the basket? And then obviously the D meaning the defense. I don't know if Champagne can do everything outside just being a volume three-point shooter. Um, But again, I, I would definitely take the risk on him in the second round, maybe even higher, but based on the other names that I have, this is just kind of where I feel comfortable taking him. But I'll go ahead and put out this asterisk next to his name. Could definitely outplay where I put him, and, and I understand that. I think a team is definitely going to have to draft him and have a plan for, for how to use him in some respects. But obviously, I don't think he's going to get nearly the same amount of volume that he had at St. John's. But mm-hmm. they have to have a plan and, and how to work him in because – yeah, it's exactly as you said, volume shooter, not score. You run him off the line. What are you going to get? I mean, he was only a 41% shooter from the field overall, 45.7% on two-point shots. That I'm sorry, that's low for a 6'8", 220-pound forward. That's not what you want to see. And I had some of the same call-outs when I watched them. I believe I even wrote it in a morning dunk column very early on in the season when, when I scouted the, the Kansas-St. Joe's game and that I'm just not comfortable with him with the ball in his hands and a dribble. He's a little clumsy with his dribble. Yeah. I I don't trust him to do much off of a line drive. I don't trust him to necessarily be able to create and step into, you know, a a shot off the bounce inside the arc. He is, he can come off a little bit of movement on the perimeter and he can hit standstill threes. I don't necessarily love his decision-making either from a passing standpoint. So really that's what we're looking at offensively and then defensively, He's not his brother. He's, he's, he's not Justin. Nope. I'm sorry. He's not. Um, and, and that really limits his, his ceiling too. Can he, can he shoot the lights out of the ball one day in the NBA to where he outperforms his stock? Like you said, absolutely. You and I could look back and then we could have him much closer to a top 30 or possibly inside the top 30 of a redraft, like three, four years from now. But I think it's safer to edge on the side of caution with him than necessarily just go all in because he's six eight he can shoot threes. Yeah, and it this is like the player that you say if he goes to Miami, Golden State, Memphis, or Toronto, he's gonna make us look bad. But if you put him in Orlando, if you put him on Houston or Detroit, like how much value are you getting there? And and, and that's kind of what made me have him towards the back half of the second. 
And really uh, so, like a, like a, before we move on, just like yeah. one more last point, like a common theme too, is that when we look at these guys and you know, this as well, like what, what do they do at an elite level or like mm-hmm. a very, very good level? Like what are the skills we can point to and say, yep, that definitely works in the NBA outside of open three point shooting. What do we point out with Julian? And we say, yep, that definitely works in the NBA. I really don't look at much of anything else to be perfectly honest with you. I looked at Justin. I looked at his brother. I still kind of like his brother more than Julian, yeah. even though he doesn't shoot the ball as well as, as Julian, he does so many other things for me at what I consider a very good to a borderline elite level. There's similar athletes, they're similar size, but Justin had a much better nose for the basketball on both sides. Um, and in terms of rebounding, I think he was a much better interior finisher. He was a much better defensive player, better defensive playmaker, a shot blocker. And when he needed to in some games that I watched him last year, he could go shot for shot pulling up inside the arc with some of the best of them. That that battle between him and Jalen Johnson was still one of my favorite prospect games I've ever watched. So I I, I would venture to say that that I think he has a longer career than Julian, but shooting's a very important aspect of the NBA game. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting prospect uh, for sure. So we'll move on to Ron Harper Jr. Shout out to Coach Spins of the Boxing One podcast. I know that he's been really big on Ron Harper Jr. all season long. And rightfully so, Nathan, you're a, you're a Rutgers guy too. So you have a player that I know that you've seen up close in person. Uh, he's a, a slab of meat is what he was described at on the show. And I was, um, I was frightened when I sat behind <laughs> him. I'm like, oh my God, this guy could literally kill me. Yeah, I mean, he's he's he is built kind of like the trapezoid, right? Like he is a he's a very funky moving player, but he's strong, man. Like positionally, he's strong. I think that that helps him become more scalable. I don't think that he's going to get out muscled on switches and things like that. And he is a heat check guy on the offensive end, too. But the age, I think, is probably going to be the biggest knock on him. Nathan, you know that we don't necessarily practice ageism here, but we did say on on a previous show that we were guests on that age can kind of be a tiebreaker for players that are of similar, uh, you know, skill sets or, you know, just overall skill at large. And that's why I think Ron Harper Jr. kind of falls a little bit, but definitely because of the the DNA, the basketball DNA that he has. Uh, he is not afraid. He's got onions like he, he'll take any shot. And I think scaled down to a role player, uh, you know, type role that he'll be able to function well in the NBA. And he's probably not a guy that's going to work his way into like a top seven rotation or anything like that. But I think that he's going to have staying power in the NBA uh, because of his intelligence, because of the background that he has, uh, the leadership qualities, the intangibles, things like that. And he's going to be a smart player when you put him on your team and you ask him to make any sort of types of reads or anything like that, he's going to be able to do it and do it well. So I think that that at least gets him into the draftable conversation range. And he's worked his way up on my board. I actually had him outside my top 60, but going back and looking at him recently, I would definitely take him in the sixth or excuse me, the second round, which is why I have him at 56. Spot up shooting threat, catch and shoot guy, better perimeter defender than you would initially want to give him credit for. He's it's, it's not about his sides, it's about how he moves his feet on the perimeter. He, keeps up with guys much better than what a 6'6", 260 pounds, something yeah. like that is what he's listed <laughs> at, something crazy. Um, obviously, when, when NBA teams look at evaluating him, it's not about the shooting touch. It's not about some of the decision-making that you alluded to on both sides of the ball. It's about the weight. Will he be able to cut off a, a little bit of that weight 
Um, because the NBA is a different animal, man. You have mm-hmm. to keep yourself in a different level of shape to consistently be in an NBA rotation. And, and some players who aren't able to maintain that weight and maintain themselves at the best level physically, they, 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 that's when injuries can come into play. That's when all different types of things can come into play with these guys. So that's obviously going to be a concern by NBA teams along with the agent. That's why he's going to be a little bit back on draft boards and some of the production would also indicate, I guess the one skill thing that I really do not love about him. And I wish that he could improve it more, but he's probably not going to, cause he's not like a, a, a jumpy, a springy type of athlete. He doesn't get yeah. off the floor very well, which affects his finishing inside, particularly in traffic. He's not, mm-hmm. not good um, on, on two point shots around the basket or a little bit away from the basket. He is a shooter first and foremost, and a shooter even after that. Um, that that is yes. the game. So, if that's what your team needs, he he comes from that pro background, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think he carries himself very well. Anything I've heard off the court about him has been excellent. Um, it, it's going to be some of those things. Which the good news is maintaining his body. That those are things that he can work on once he gets to the NBA level. It's it's basketball all day every day. It's training all day every day. He doesn't have to worry about going to class and getting that homework assignment in anymore. These are things that. <laughs> If he wants to put in the work and control, he absolutely can. And the jump shot's a, a work of art, man. He can he can absolutely catch fire in, in a hurry and really contribute positive offensive value and, and defensive value in certain situations to an NBA team. So yeah, I think I think he has to be inside of top 60. Some people won't have him there. Um, you have him there. I will definitely have him there. We know Coach Spins does. Yep. Um, I think he just has to be. Yeah, and I would totally agree with you. So Nathan, we're starting to get to the part of the board to where we're going to start hearing names that I can definitely hear people say, what you have this guy here? Like, why don't you have him higher or why is he in your top 60 at all? Like this is where we're going to start getting some interesting names. Uh, We'll start with Iverson Molinar, Molinar, who is a NBA deep dives favorite, you know, shout out to Metcalf and shout out to Nick. Uh, They both love Iverson Molinar. And here's the thing. I like him too, but Man, like figuring out where you put guards in this draft class is probably one of the more difficult parts of assessing it, uh, in my opinion, Nathan, because I like Iverson Molinar. Like he reminds me a lot of ways in like of a, a young, you know, Russell Westbrook or even I know that this name doesn't carry much weight now, but like a, a Dennis Smith Jr. You know, he's a very dynamic playmaker, a very long at his position, stands at about six, three, like those previously mentioned guys. Uh was a good shooter the year prior and then comes back this year and isn't that great of a shooter, but improved a lot of, a lot of other aspects of his game. So I think that if you're high on him, you just say, put it all in a bottle, shake it up and pour it out. And it's probably going to turn out to be all right. I'm a little less optimistic, optimistic of his high end outcome, but I think even at like the median, I think that he's going to be, okay as an NBA level guard and when you're talking about a guy who potentially could take you off the bounce uh is makes good reads and hustles on the defensive side of the ball too and has decent positional size like some of these other guys that are at the top of the guard position we're worried about their size you don't have to worry about that in my opinion with Iverson Molinar so that's why I have him in the second round and I have him at 55. Yeah, we've talked about a number of guys who I think stand a good chance to be drafted and Molinar would firmly be in that conversation for me it would not shock me if you went anywhere between like 40 to 60 it just yeah. depends on how much an nba team needs a backup guard um because i i don't 
I, I get I get the argument from Molinar. He does a lot of things on the court that you like, a lot of things that you want from a guard. But I just don't know how much of it translates to a starting role. And that's really the thing about if, if you're going to draft a backup point guard, he better have spot starter slash full-time starter potential in his future. Like we have those questions about like Kennedy Chandler and Jan Montero, who we'll definitely talk about in, in future episodes of this series. They at least offer spot starter. And in my opinion, I think they both could get to starting levels. I don't quite see that same path for, for Molinar. I think he, he has a chance to be a dynamic backup point guard in the NBA for a long time. But mm-hmm. if that's your cap, there are other positions that you want to fill that have much more starter type of value and or upside. And if you're not a starting guard, then naturally you slide down past those guys that play positions of higher value that have size, these true bigs who you know are probably going to be around providing value for eight to 10 years in the NBA. There's just more value that you can find once you keep diving into the board. I think that's why Molinar ultimately slides back, but I don't, I don't have anything bad necessarily to say about right. him, just like you don't. Yeah. It's, it's not like you can really knock much about him, but on the other side of the coin, Nathan, like how much can you like glowingly speak of and, it's one of those things that, like, how high do you want to draft Monte Morris in a draft? How high do you want to draft an Ish Smith in a draft? Do you want to maybe roll the dice on a guy who might be a little bit more volatile and ultimately might not even end up in the league, but I'm at glad least you take a chance on the name, upside. Though. The Monte Morris name, I'm glad that you brought that up because the thing about Morris, why he provides so much value for Denver off of the bench and even in spot starting slash starting type of roles, even in the playoffs right now, he is a knockdown shooter. Yep. In multiple different areas of the floor, off the dribble from inside the arc, off the dribble slash standing still from outside the arc, you trust him to knock that shot down when the ball swung around him in the playoff series. Can we say the same thing about somebody like Molinar, who, as you pointed out, the shooting wasn't as good this year compared to last year? I, that, that, that really holds somebody like him back. And, and Morris was somebody who it's not like he was a top 20 pick either. Like teams really Correct. had to do their homework on him. And they had to trust that it wasn't just a lot of the passing instincts that carried over to the NBA level, that he could be a floor general as a backup. What does he look like as a shot maker when things break down, especially in the playoffs? Can you trust this guy to, to give you minutes if, if needed and then provide shot making value? Like I, I don't have those answers about Molinar. Yeah, and I think that the guys from uh, NBA Deep Dives would tell you is that the dip in three-point efficiency this season had to do with an uptick in usage and output this year. Like, his role at Mississippi State was significantly larger this year. He was the guy. Like, he He was was the the guy guy on Mississippi State. But when his three-point shooting was, you know, pushing that 40% margin, he was kind of just a a guy on the team. And so, if he gets drafted, it is that at the NBA level – maybe we do see his three-point efficiency kind of trend upwards. So it's an interesting uh, debate and, you know, philosophy on how you look at prospects and, and how you project on them moving forward. But we'll move forward here ourselves, Nathan, at 54. I have my Arkansas Razorback prospect, Jalen Williams, and I am significantly lower on him, I feel like, than most. And it's not that I want him to come back and win a championship because he has declared, but he is maintaining his collegiate eligibility. Yeah, we're going to get into a number of guys in this series who you, you're going to have your big board run through probably by the time some of them might pulled out. But this is Correct. this is one of those guys that we could absolutely say that about. 
Yeah, in Arkansas, just a quick shout-out to, to my Hogs here. They have an incredible recruiting class. Beautiful and job. If, and if they get Jalen Williams back, oh, my goodness, it's going to be – it's going to be a nightmare for for teams in the league. But anyway, um, Nathan, we can sit here and poke fun about the charges, and I get it. I totally understand that, like, he flops at everything. Like, he looks like a soccer player out there. No offense to soccer fans, but, you know, watch highlights. I, I get it. Um, and I get that you can argue that, okay, like, the charges, sure, they're not going to translate, but they point to his intellect on that side of the ball that he see th- that he sees things. And I get that, and I understand that. It's one thing to see them, but to have the physical ability to react to them is something completely different. And one thing that we know, Nathan, is that if we're talking about guys like Jabari Walker potentially giving you minutes as a small ball five, like Jalen Williams is surely going to get minutes at the five. Yep. And at what he does best, he is not going to be a defensive stopper right now at the next level. Like if he comes back to Arkansas and works on that side of the ball, and improves his athleticism if he can, um, improves, you know, shot blocking mechanics, things like that. Not that he was a poor shot blocker, but it wasn't his, you know, top option on the defensive side of the if, ball. If, if you're drafting Jalen Williams to uh, bolster your defense, you got the evaluation wrong. That's not why Cor- we're drafting him. So. Correct. So that's my biggest thing with him. And then, he sure, he's a good rebounder. And the thing that he does best on the offensive side of the ball is playmaking. He does it positionally at an elite level. But the finishing I have questions on, you know, shooting over other bigs, you know, banging with other, you know, more physically physically imposing big men. I don't know if I necessarily trust that from him right now. So the things that NBA teams need the most from his position, I don't think that he does well. But he does offer the ability to be a, an interesting wrinkle in a rotation, which is why I get drafting him in the first place. I just don't think that what he does best is what I would want as an NBA team within the first round. In the second round, sure, take a swing on him. Let's see what he has. And that's why I have him here at 54. So here's the thing about Jalen Williams. Um, Very interesting player to evaluate because he shows some awesome flashes, not just with the passing with his back to the basket, Steven, but also even as a face-up shot maker. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had times in multiple big SEC games where he was literally making jump shots in the mid-range off the bounce and you go, okay, like six, nine, six, 10 forward. If he's able to do this offensively, it's these bigs who can operate and are calm to operate from the perimeter and they don't get flustered. NBA teams are in love with those guys because of the spacing and the value they provide to an NBA offense. But I think the biggest thing that you called out, it's not just the defense. I mean, I I don't think he's ever going to be like a standout defender to be honest with Mm -hmm. you. I I don't think he's as bad as he, as some people have, made him out to be. I think you and I even talked about that on, on, on a draft deeper episode. I don't yeah. think his feet are as bad, you know, on switches. I think some people like to make them out to be, but he's not, he's not your, your absolute best backline defender, primary rim protector. I don't think he's ever going to be that, but he needs improvement to his body to at the very least be a better finisher on the interior, as you said, um, because NBA teams aren't going to give him the freedom to experiment you know, around the elbow area or some of these face-up situations that he finds himself in his Arkansas, unless he's proven that, you know, he can do a lot of the easy little things on offense from an around the basket standpoint. So I think that's really going to be the feedback he gets from NBA teams. Take this summer, take this off season, really, really work on your body, come mm-hmm. back to school, help Arkansas perform, possibly win a championship, improve that 
you are a much better two-point finisher um, than, than, than really has been given credit around the basket. So I think that's the feedback he's going to get. I, I would be surprised if he stays in the draft. I think he's doing the right thing to test the waters and get the sure. feedback. I'd be surprised if he stays in the draft. Yeah, and I think Matt Penny kind of said it best, and you know he's a friend of the show here. He said it best when we're going to start seeing like record-reaching numbers of players just declaring for the draft. Absolutely. Like if you if you go on Google, just like players declaring for the NBA draft, and go to whichever website that you feel like you trust, you're going to see names that we don't even talk about here on Draft Deeper, and that's saying something because we literally do scour and, and, and evaluate talent from all ends. You and I of- both have boards out to a hundred, so exactly. Exactly. So we have there's players that are declaring that aren't even on our like hundreds of prospects names that we have on our two separate individual independent big boards. So that's saying something. So the fact and this is a good thing, by the way, like I I think it's a good thing that players can go like, hey, I want to play in the NBA. What do you think I could get better on here? Do these, you know, one through five things and then come and talk to us next season. And then players have the option to go back and do that. So I think that that's an incredible thing. So if Jalen could go back, be, you know, increase his, in, you know, inside scoring ability, he has shown the, uh, the, um, the want to and shooting the deep ball as well. So that's going to help him. But we have to see him be good at traditional center things as well to get a shot. So we'll move on here to player 53 on my board, Hugo Basson. And this is a guy that I've had first round grades on uh, at the earlier portions of the year. I just don't know like how much I have, like I can weigh what he did in France to being on the worst team in the NBA, NBL now. Uh, his assist numbers plummeted. He was asked to be a finisher, which I don't think that's going to be the role that he does in the NBA. Yep. Uh, he was asked to play off ball a lot. I don't think that that's what you want him to do for the most part. Uh, I think that he's best in like a Goran Drogic type role where he can be like a scoring kind of combo guard. And I think that that's worth taking a taking a look at in the draft, Nathan. What do you think about Hugo Basson, fifty three? Yeah, I think if you were going to take him in like that that higher thirties that a lot of people have had him around for the majority of this part, that you were really buying into not him being a, a point guard and a distributor, um, because I left that I left that notion pretty quickly once I actually went sure. and dove into some of the New Zealand film, but you expect him to be this microwave guard who can catch fire from the perimeter at any time, which is technically true, but the efficiency isn't there to quite back up that notion either. So we're talking about a microwave guy who his best skill offers streaky value potentially in return. If you give him too long of a leash, I, especially when you throw in some of the defensive concerns, yep. I, I, I just, I, I don't know how high you want to draft that guy. Like I, I think he would have had to, really have exploded offensively for for him to earn like that that early 30s late 20s type of projection that you and I likely once had on yeah and I think that he and Jang both did themselves a disservice from going to play in the NBA I think if they would have stayed and played in France like they like they had done previously they they probably would have held like a lot of their preseason projections in my opinion because the NBA is more physical they literally went to not only the worst team, but probably the team in the worst situation where traveling was difficult. You know, they're they're not speaking their native tongue. Like it's there's a whole. Well, bunch why of did they, Why do they do that though? I mean, they went the the worst team gives them more opportunity, right? The issue was that I, I think I think Hugo was ready for the opportunity. I think he was ready for the volume. Um, a lot of people around the team who we've talked to, even talked to, had some conversation with Raphael on the podcast. Like mm-hmm. everybody has good things to say about him, right? 
Yeah. I think he was ready for the opportunity. He just might not be that level of player that we were looking for. I don't, I don't think Jang was ready for, for that type of opportunity that that's clear and apparent on the early part of the film. Has he improved the second half of the run, which I still need to go back and watch that film from from what I've seen. Yes. But yeah, I, I, I think they were just looking for the opportunity where would have they gotten the same opportunity had they stayed um, where they were at previously. We, we've also heard Rafael and, and others talk plenty about these European clubs don't give as long of a leash to these guys because they're trying to play their best players. They're trying to win games, right? Yeah. I don't know if the opportunity would have been there, but at the same time, maybe their weaknesses just wouldn't have been as exacerbated as they've been in, in this situation because they have the volume, the opportunity, the microscopes on them. It's a lot easier to watch New Zealand breakers games in the NBL because of the ESPN plus tie in. Like it's a lot easier to get the film on these guys. So the exposure might've done them a little bit of a disservice, but maybe Jang after going through all of that in the first half of the year, coming back to second half of the year, improving, he has that going for him. Now he gets to come back over to the States pre-draft workouts. He's in a much better opportunity to explode back up draft boards because of the measurables and, and, and everything that he already brought to the table from the first place, Hugo does not have um, the, the, that those same things to be able to propel him back up the draft. So I don't disagree with where you have him. Yeah. And I think too, that having Jang not come on until like their last, you know, 10 or so games kind of put him in a bad spot. To where he, yeah. he had to play outside of his idealized role. So we'll move on now to a player that did get his idealized role, but for whatever reason had the most difficult time putting things together J.D. Davidson out, out of Alabama. And, again, Nathan, this is a prospect that could completely outplay where I have him. And I will acknowledge that. I'll put the asterisk next to his name and all of that because of the physical tools. Like, if this guy wasn't, like, the elite athlete at his position coming into this year's draft, Nathan, I don't know what the intrigue would be because of what we saw from his playmaking ability or lack thereof. Like, sure, he had flashes. But he had talent on this Alabama team. It's not like he was bereft of, you know, other NBA-level talent on his team. It was just, you know, playing off the bench, even playing with, like, second-unit guys, he he struggled. You know, like, the shot hadn't been there all season long. Uh, the finishing, he's kind of wild, you know. And he's one of these prospects, Nathan, that I feel like some coaches are going to look at and be like, I would rather have a player that I have to kind of – calm down then I have to ramp up like I could see teams looking at him and and talking themselves into that mindset because he's a dog he's gonna gun it all game long but maybe that's like the biggest problem you know not playing at multiple gears or you know speeds really kind of hurt his game and at the is at the SEC that's a physical league like that's a physical specimen league where the fast of the fast the quick of the quick um, they all go to play basketball. And he looked like he could do that at the SEC level. But the basketball aspect of his game was was kind of taking a beating. So now we're at a position, Nathan, where we say, well, okay, if we think that he's best served to go back and improve and take that Jay Nivey jump that everybody is infatuated with, you know, why not take him this year? And I'm a firm believer, Nathan, that sometimes like guys need reps in college because if you don't believe that he's ready to contribute within the next year or two at the NBA, I don't know why you take that in the, in, in the first round because you're getting less time with him. And then if he does turn on at the end of his contract, then you're stuck with the 
how much do we pay him? Is a team going to max him? And do we match that? Like, that's a, that's a whole nother aspect of, you know, NBA that I don't think that a lot of draft places talk about and discuss. So that's kind of where I'm at with JD Davison is that let him go and get more reps in school if he decides to come back. But if he's staying the second round is where I'm looking at taking him. And I do, but again, like the physical tools are there. He just needs to learn how to play basketball a little bit better, Nathan. So here's the thing about J.D. Davison, right? And there's been some conversation on social media that I've seen a little bit about, you know, not being as imaginative as we probably should be with some of these prospects. Like our whole point is to project them out that these guys aren't going to come into the NBA. They're not perfect players. They're not going to, Mm -hmm. not all of them are going to immediately come on the scene and explode once they get to the league. But you got to prove to me that you can actually do something of value on an NBA floor besides just run up and down the court really fast. Yep. And that's where it all breaks down for JD Davidson. And and I can count the ways. I mean, we, we don't really trust him defensively. Um, at his position or anywhere else on that side of the ball offensively do you trust him to score from any one level in particular at a really efficient clip I don't that includes especially in the half court yeah especially in the half court do you buy any of the shooting any of the perimeter shooting I do not and I don't think he's a low IQ player and I've said this before I don't think his IQ and his processing speed is the problem that leads to a lot of the turnovers. His handle is really sloppy. Um, He coughs off that ball once he drives too much into traffic. Somebody can easily poke the ball away from him. And then I don't think he's a good passer. I think he's he's an average passer at absolute best case. I would actually consider him to be a below average passer. And those two things really bother me more than anything else because those are the things that limit him for being a point guard in my opinion so you have to look at him as like a combo guard right who do we put in like the combo guard type of mold well somebody else could colin sexton well what does colin sexton have he is a legitimate three level bucket getter on his best Mm -hmm. nights is he always efficient from all three levels no but does he have examples on nba film where he can score from every level yes kobe white kobe white's another guy i could compare him to the thing I, I never thought that Kobe White was a good passer either. Um, and I never thought the IQ was necessarily a huge problem with his game. But the difference between Kobe White and J.D. Davis is that Kobe White can shoot the absolute piss out of the ball. Yep. Um, so there are separators to these combo guards. There are skills that they have that I just don't see from J.D. Davison. And the type of project he's going to be for an NBA team, I get it. If you just want to buy into the tools, 6'3", with like a 6'8", 6'9", wings, but you just want to buy into the tools, you want to get them in your system, you want to develop them, you see fit, that's fine. I just don't know if you have to take this guy in the first round, like where he's probably going to be selected by an NBA team on, on draft night. I do not want to take him in the first round. I'd be scared to take him in the first round. He is... He's been my biggest disappointment this year in terms of a prospect because I watched the high school film. I love this kid Yeah. before the season started. I love the energy that he played with, the motor, the hustle, the tenacity, how he would dunk in people's faces and he made sure they knew about it. I, I love all of those things from a prospect. And you saw some of those things at multiple different points throughout the year for Alabama. But just in terms of, as you said, the basketball skill and ability – it's not there. 
It's a huge work in progress. I don't even know if it's ever fully going to come to, together for him. I, I, I really don't. I seriously yeah. don't. And that to me is a problem. And, and, you know, Nathan, I know that you're going to agree with this. Everybody at No Ceilings is going to agree with this. Like, we don't root against guys. Like, this is no. not us saying that, like, we, we're putting all our eggs in the we want J.D. Davis in the fill basket. It's not that at all. I we was just, ready months ago to go to war for him as possibly the best point guard prospect in the class. I even wrote a morning yep. zone column titled, is J.D. Davis in the best point guard in the in, in the draft class? Um, and here we are saying that he's not. And right. it's because of the film. It's because he did play on a quality team with other bucket getters. Like Alabama had perimeter players that took pressure off of him. He was given opportunity to run away and be the best guard in this class but he's just for whatever reason isn't ready but he it sounds like from everything that i'm that i've read and that i've seen like he's he's betting on himself and he is you know prove prove us wrong like i will happily eat crow if he ends up being the best guard in this in this class and you won't see anybody cheering for him more than us like we we love jd davison so we'll move on from him and speaking of high school film Leonard Miller out of Fort Erie International oh, Academy. And Nathan, I, I I understand that we might park here and that we have we might have varying differences. Um, I, I don't I don't have a deep dive necessarily to unleash on Leonard Miller because I don't think you and I were expecting to talk about him. However, right. given that he apparently is going to be eligible and will put his name into the draft, we had to talk about about him at some point. So why not just had do it to. Tonight? And here's the thing, Nathan, like a lot of this has to do with and people Intel is taken a, a lot of different ways on draft Twitter. And I, I, you know, if you have sources, you don't spell them right because you want to keep sources. But like from everything that I'm hearing, Nathan, is that teams are going to take a chance on this guy. If you oh, he's going to go in the first round without a he's doubt. he's going to teams are going to take a chance on him. Because, you know, 6'10", 6'11", able to take you off the dribble, lefty. So, like, that's a whole other aspect. You know, being a a left-handed anything gives you, like, a unique strange advantage that it shouldn't. Because, like, we know that, like, you're going to do the same thing on your left side that everyone else does on your right side. But for whatever reason, like, that's much more difficult to defend and prepare for. Yeah. Just like it is in almost any other sport, like baseball, things like that. But – being a left-handed tall playmaker who can shoot and has slitherly slithery penetration ability like watching his hoop summit film i loved it there were a lot of people that were like why do you love it so much because it's not like he did anything like physically imposing it was just the way that he got to his spots how calm he looked with the ball in his hand playing against some other elite players at his age um and, and peer group you know yon montero was another guy on that world team that Probably people were looking at more because of, you know, the the aura surrounding him. Leonard Miller is a little bit more unknown, but watching him play, I think teams are going to look at a 6'10", 6'11", guy who can hit step backs, who can, you know, eke his way into the paint, draw attention, and make an intelligible read out on the, on the perimeter. And the fact that he can play passing lanes and block shots, like people are going to talk themselves into this guy. Um watching what limited film that inset has that to where we can go and watch them there's a lot to like but it's just the fact that we didn't get to see him play against college 
athletes. Now, who's another prospect that we can say that same thing about? Shaden Sharp. And I'm not saying that Leonard Miller equals Shaden Sharp, but um, no, he does not. But here's the thing: is that if you're high on him at the high school level, like you were with Shaden Sharp, you're going to also apply that same thought process. Like, okay, like sure, we didn't see him against college level athletes, but we did see him in that peer group where some of these other guys that are getting drafted that he looked competent or better than, and he's young and he's long like that, like teams are going to take a shot on him. I like him in the middle of the second right now, but again, like this guy could outplay everyone's projections just because he's, he's an uncertainty, Nathan. This is probably the one guy where you're going to look back and you're going to wish, you know, you, you, you had a little more runway to be able to make a decision yeah. on where to put him on your big board, because he is going to climb. Um, the, you look at the guys, not, not going to say any names and spoil any of the rest of your big board, but I can look like <laughs> I can look 20 plus spots ahead on, on the board that you gave me right now. And I could talk myself into taking Leonard Miller ahead of all those guys, but yeah, I, I need to do the deep dive. I don't, I don't love the tape, man. I like the tape. I like yeah. the tape because of a lot of what he brings to the table. Physically. I don't, I don't love the tape. I don't right. love the shooting. There's there's something about the the release and the follow through that's a little wonky for my liking. I like that he's comfortable taking some of those jumpers. Very comfortable. Very yes. comfortable. Hard to block we, too, man. Like that's the thing at that size and his wingspan. Like even if it doesn't look like the smoothest or the prettiest, it's still going to be difficult to block at his peak. Mechanically, I don't. There, he's got some things I think that are going to need to be ironed out. The my, sure. minor minor changes. The good news, minor changes. Um, and then his touch around the basket on layups, don't love it. Yeah. I don't really see him as an ambidextrous kind of guy. Don't really see a lot of right to his game. So there, there are, if you, if you can force this guy into settling for these jump shots where I'm seeing some is, inconsistent mechanics on his follow through his release. And these are the types of shots you're living with, not letting the six ten, six eleven athletic guy just absolutely beat everybody down the floor and get the easy dunk at the basket. Yeah, there there are ways that you can coach and scheme and make his life more difficult, especially somebody who's not as physically developed and physically matured as he's probably going to be like two to three years from now. So he's going to be taken in the first round. Let's not beat around the bush. Does he deserve to have a first round grade on him? I'm actually I'm actually (laughs) glad that you didn't just immediately rocket him up your board because this is this is different from Shane Sharp. Shane Sharp to me, like I I watched the high school film on Shane Sharp and I go, oh, my God, like this guy. That makes sense. (laughs) An an absolute star in the NBA. I get all the tools that Leonard Miller has. He has things that you can't teach. Yeah. I need to see more of the basketball. And Um, so do I. Nothing that I've seen has absolutely blown me away where I'm just going to immediately propel him and. I will probably have him in like a late first, early second range. That's probably where I'll have him. Maybe I end up getting higher if I see enough that really does excite me about his short-term promise, not just his long-term projection. I, yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta see more from, from, from Mr. Miller. I'm not, I'm not 100% sold on him coming in his rookie year and being this awesome impact part. I think it's going to take some time. It's going to take a year or two of seasoning. Like, you look at him, Brandon Boston was somebody who went like 58 or wherever he did. in the Yeah, draft. like barely drafted. Yeah. Are you, are you taking Letter Miller over Brandon Boston? Because I'm not. I'm not I'm not taking him over, over somebody like that. It was much more skill, polish, and craft to his game. And all he needed 
was a confidence boost. And you saw some of what he was able to do, not just in the G League, but even coming up and playing with the Clippers this year. Is Leonard Miller going to be able to do those same things with his six foot in the NBA? I'm not confident on it. Now, part of that deep dive, I also need to look into what he does defensively. I have yeah. zero reads, zero clue what Leonard Miller does defensively. I have not sat down and watched some of that tape yet. Primarily just offensive highlights, watching some clips on Instat of a few of his high school games. That's really where I'm at right now. So I'm not in a position to give a full evaluation, like stamping a green on him. But I'm not ready to say he deserves to be taken like 20 or 30 odd spots higher than somebody yeah. like Brandon Boston right now. Well, and the thing too is, is that Leonard Miller has in his benefit is that he doesn't have a disappointing college season, you know, and, and exactly. If, if, if Brandon Boston was in a similar situation to Leonard Miller, like, are we talking about him as like a lottery talent, you know, like he was, he was that, a top 10 pick ESPN had him like number two at one point. So. And that, and that's the difference is that we're starting to see, we talked about this with Matt Penny on the show is that like, is this going to be a trend where guys forego playing college or even getting into a good situation at college and then just saying like hey watch the high school film it's all there you know here's like a we're great start- one are you definitely going to take him ahead of somebody like Peyton Watson not today but who knows <laughs> like that's the thing like he there is less there for him which makes it hard but the measurables the like the not just the measurables right but he's smooth with the ball in the sand like if nothing else like you like that at 6'10", 6'11", that he can dribble and hit step-back jumpers. Like, that alone is tantalizing. And he might be a guy that next week, Nathan, that when we're on the show, that I'm like, hey, I know everybody, I told you that I had Leonard Miller here at 51. Today I'm here to tell you that I got him at 27. Like, who knows what's going to happen within a week of more film, um, more availability, more intel, things like that. It's He's going to be probably one of the most volatile names that you're going to see in this year's draft class. Absolutely. We'll move on from him. We'll go up a spot to 50 to Josh Minot, a guy that you've probably heard mentioned on multiple podcast platforms. You've heard him discussed here on Draft Deeper. Uh, You've seen written work on him. Minot, again, is another one of these volatile names where we were just talking about Brandon Boston Jr. didn't play in the most idealized spot for him in college. Maybe that's the same thing here for Josh Minot. You know, he's a good athlete. for whatever reason, like Penny Hardaway, like didn't play him for, for a long stretch during the season. But he's one of these guys, Nathan, that I know that you're big on because stuff just happens when he's on the floor. And he's yep. a good athlete. Uh, the shot is in and out. Like there's – you will find no shortage of him in a gym right now hitting open jump shots. Like those those videos are out it. there. Yeah. He's working on it. So and, and he should be. Like I think that we have a tendency to knock those videos like, oh, here we go, an open gym. And people – like – what, what's the alternative not shooting jump shots you know so I mean he, he's out there working on the, on what he needs to but the defensive versatility the ability to switch uh, be a transition finisher a rebounder defender maybe even a good playmaker out of the short roll uh, there's there's things to like about Minot but even though we got to see him play for Memphis there's still so many questions that we were left with at the end of the season Nathan I, I understand why you have him where you do. I'm not going to do a deep dive on his game. We, we've done yeah. that on multiple podcasts now. We can sort of keep him moving. The, the only thing I'll say about Josh Minot is I am going to have him higher on the board because of a lot of what I said, I bought, I buy into the tools. I buy into the IQ. I buy into the playmaking on both ends of the floor. He's, he's a project. It, yep. it, it, it's going to take some work. You, you have to make a bet on him that he's going to be able to live up to those expectations. So 
one guy having him like in the high thirties to early forties on the board, that's fine. One guy like you having him in like the, the late forties, early fifties, that's also fine. The, the difference of opinion really comes down to how much of a project do you think he is? How much do you think immediately translates to the NBA and how hard is it to be, how hard is it going to be to get more out of him? So yeah. I, I don't disagree. Listen, I, I have not disagreed with where you've had anybody right now up to this point. I will have these guys in different spots on my board, but there's nothing behind your logic where I've just immediately stood up and said, why does Steven have him here? I completely get it with some of these guys because we can't have pom-poms for everybody, man. The NBA is hard. Mm-hmm. The NBA is yeah. really, really hard. And we can point out why we like some of these guys and we can list all their strengths and list all their weaknesses. But at the end of the day, there's only going to be so many of these guys that actually make it every single time I look back at a draft class, like four to five years after the fact, there's like 15 or less guys that are actually like full-time starters in the NBA who are possibly even better than that. Not all these guys are going to make it. So it's really about making a bet on who you feel more comfortable with. I'm more comfortable with by not you're not. That's completely fine at the end of the day. But as you said earlier, we're rooting for all of these guys. Absolutely. Just, just our job to figure out who we're much more willing to bet on with a draft pick. Yeah. And again, like another player that if he lands on the right team, I've seen him mock to Toronto. Toronto Love that would be a fit. great fit. Yep. Toronto's a great fit for like 97% of everybody in this class. Like same thing for Golden State and Memphis. You know, teams that actually take the time to develop Oklahoma City would be an interesting fit for mine on as well. Like Teams that take the time, use their G League, you know, affiliates appropriately. Uh, Minot's a great candidate for a team like that. But, you know, for hotbeds with a lot of turnover, I would be I would be terrified, you know. But and and again, you know, not rooting against them. And again, you know, the more that I more intel that I get on him, you know, the more videos that come out on him working out and, uh, you know, combines, things like that, that could vault him up because, again, the margin of uh, talent in this range isn't very significant at all. I still think he's taken in the first round. That's I'm going to, I'm going to stay by my bet. Okay, there we go. You heard it here. You know, doesn't mean I'm ranking him in the top 30, but I think he's still going to be taken there. Absolutely. Yeah. We're not, we're not placing these guys where we think that they're going to go. This is our evaluation of their game and where we would have them on our collective boards here. So moving on to position 49, Jordan Hall out of St. Joseph, who, who I have written down as a perimeter player because of his size. Uh, we see in the NBA that if you can handle the ball, you can pass, profile to shoot and defend as well. Even though your talent might not be as high, like pound for pound with some of these other prospects, like height kind of is it's the ultimate cover-up. It covers up sins. Yep. You know, we, we see it with Josh Giddy, Other players not saying that Jordan Hall is Josh Giddy, which is why I have him at 49. But a guy who can do everything as a Swiss Army knife for his team, you know, uh, on a team bereft of talent outside of himself would be very interesting to see him on an NBA team with better spacing, theoretically, um, Mm -hmm. more more tempo, um, him being able to do more off the ball, which I think that he can do. And again, you know, that versatility, being able to offer, you know, variance in multiple positions, I think is highly valuable, which is why I would feel comfortable in the late 40s taking Jordan Hall. And, and the late 40s, Stephen, I'm not surprised that he slid down your board and he's probably going to keep sliding down mine because at the end of the day, the efficiency is just yeah. not there. He is not a good finisher around the basket. I love the jump shot. I think it looks pretty. Does it go in all the time? It does not. And 
The passing flashes are great. Very high IQ guy. I mm-hmm. love his coachability. I love how his teammates respond to him and he sees things and he points out criticism for some other guys. They, they trust his word. They take him at his word. And he is a great leader on the court. I love all of the intangible things about Jordan Hall, but he's not the best defensive player and he's not yeah. an efficient scorer or shooter of the basketball. You kind of need to be one or multiple of those things, regardless of the passing ability and the height to stand out and be like, I definitely deserve to be like a top 30 pick in, in the NBA draft. So that's, that's where he falls short. That's probably why he's sliding down a lot of boards. Yeah. And I think too, it's kind of the same thing that we talk about with Johnny Davis and why we feel like he's being undervalued is because he does everything so well on every, on every aspect of the basketball game, where as Jordan Hall, I feel like he might be one of those guys kind of similar to Iverson Molinar with his three-point efficiency is that, is he doing too much? Maybe in a skull back role, does he sell out a little bit more defensively? Who There's knows? There's a like, way for Jordan Hall to massively outperform when we have him right now. Like he 100%. could end up being like a top 20, top 25 player in this class. But has he, has he shown us enough for us to buy into that notion? He has, he's not shown me enough and doesn't sound like he's shown you enough either. No, sir. Speaking of not showing me enough, we're going to talk about prospect number 48 on my oh, board. Boy. Blake Wesley. And oh, I know that, you're the resident, you know, kind of cheerleader for him at No Ceilings. Uh, but I think collectively the No Ceilings group is a little bit lower on him than the consensus. And again, it's not that we're rooting against him, but it's just if an NBA team is drafting a guy like Blake Wesley, they're not looking to say, here, Blake Wesley, like take over the offense. So if he's not going to be the primary ball handler when he's on the floor, has he shown enough to you to be trusted off the ball to make good decisions? I don't think that he's done that. Defensively, there are some things to like there. He's got like – I like a lot of what he has defensively, like a lot of the tools. I think that he could be one of the best, like, point-of-attack defenders in this draft. I think that he has that sort of upside, and there is value to that, which is why I have him where I do, like, being drafted here in the second round. But, you know, we can – use all sorts of hyperbole here with the jump shot. You know, I think that Metcalf once said that his jump shots like a snowflake, like no two are the same. I love that. You know, it it was a, it was a pretty funny joke, but in all seriousness, like Wesley's jump shooting is scary. Uh, His, his penetration ability is a little bit hectic and I don't trust the, the consistency on finishing it at the NBA level. And if he is not getting the ball in his hands, like what kind of value does he give your team other than just being like a good guard defender, which again, there's value to that, but that's not first round value in my opinion, Nathan, which is why I have him kind of as like a middle second where maybe you're betting on the jump shot and the offensive creativity kind of coming a little bit more to fruition. So like, it's still something there to like, but he's another one of these players, Nathan, that if I was advising him and I'm not privy to what's going on with him in his personal life, but I would love to see another year of him yep. in college. That's just me. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I've said that before too. I think he's absolutely smart to test, but I would ultimately tell him to, to go back to school and actually wrote that um, yeah. for, for no ceilings. And when we talk about testing the waters and getting feedback and then either making the decision to jump into the NBA draft whole, fully and yep. keep your name in or go back to school Really what it comes down to for me, and I think you've agreed with this, I think other people in those songs have agreed with this. Can you actually show new skills or or different sets of skills when you go yeah. back versus just only being purely a better version of the player that you are right now in this instant? 
like mm-hmm. a Caleb Houston, for example, who is still on the fence as we're recording this podcast. Like, is he going to show anything different if he comes back to school and goes to Michigan? I don't think he's going to show it any different. I think he probably just has a chance to be a more efficient version of what he is now. Well, if that's the case, why not just go to the NBA and get reps and start figuring out how your game as it's constructed, that's probably going to be the majority of what it is in the NBA. Start figuring out how that's going to fit in with an NBA team. Learn what types of schemes that NBA team wants to play. Learn how you fit in and become the best version of yourself for that team. Get to that place that sooner rather than later. It's not the same thing with Blake Wesley. There's a lot of work to be done with Blake Wesley's offensive game. I don't disagree with everything that you've said. But he has shown examples where he can be a high-level bucket getter inside the arc, whether that's finishing around the basket at times or creating some of those shots, those fallaway jumpers in the paint. He looks Mm -hmm. like a real, real, real shining star type of pro when he hits those shots. But a lot of the other perimeter mechanics are inconsistent. As you said, I don't fault Metcalf for what he said to us about the jump shot <laughs> multiple times and Corey and everybody else in the no ceilings team who wants to pick him apart. I like that you described his play as beating erratic at times because that absolutely he can be this heckle jive uh, kind of player on the court. I, I don't disagree with any of that. But the way he plays defense, the way he guards his man one-on-one, um, I think can potentially be special. I love mm-hmm. a lot of the instincts. I don't think it's going to take much to turn him into a better team defender. And if he's hitting open jump shots and he's able to create some stuff off the bounce, be more of a point guard, get better out of the pick and roll. Like there's like an Avery Bradley plus type of outcome okay. for Blake Wesley. And like, if you're telling me that's the Bradley could hit get, jumpers though, Bradley could hit, could hit the spot. Well, up. So that's, so that's the yeah. thing. Like we're still talking theoretical, but like that sure. I'm saying that outcome exists. Like if you're telling me that hundred percent, this guy puts in the work, he could be like an Avery Bradley plus like an Avery Bradley, by the way, was like a legitimate superstar high school type of recruit coming into yes. college and like coming in the NBA like that, that dude had the damn goods, but if that's the type of player he could be, that's a player I'm getting excited about in like top 20 ranges when you factor in how he's bigger than Bradley. He's six five with a legitimate wingspan with more athletic ability than Bradley. I think Bradley might have him beat in terms of like overall speed. Yeah, but I think but that's I think, about it. I think Wesley's burst off of initial step is, is is better than Bradley. So like that's a really enticing player. And that's why Steven, like, we all might have him in the second round. I might even finish with him in the second round. I think I have him like late first right now, but you still hear all this buzz about NBA teams looking at him like a late lottery slash mid first round type of grade. And I, I think that's what they're seeing from him. And I think if they fully believe that that's the type of player he could be in the NBA, you want to draft that player where he's at right now versus having him come back to school all of a sudden he does shore up a lot of the areas that we had questions about. He's like a top 10 pick. And now we're talking about much different draft capital being used on him versus mm-hmm. where he's at right now. And I think it's going to be the same story with the next guy you have on your board too. Well, yeah. And just the other thing real quick, Nathan, is that the thing that he projects to to do at the NBA level, I don't even necessarily think like he's the best prospect at that. And we're going to have an example of a player similar to that here in just a minute. But first, we're going to talk about Terquavion Smith, and he's a prospect, man, that I have seen such a wide range of variants on him. Like, there are people that are sold on him being a lottery-level talent, like a late first round, early second. I'm more comfortable taking a bet on him 
in the middle of the second because I mean maybe he ends up being like a like a Ben Gordon like a modern day Ben Gordon where he's just predominantly used like off of movement um just a, a nasty spot up shooting guard I don't know if there's much to love about his anything that he does once he steps foot inside a three-point line but he's super young kind of came on a little bit and outperformed most people's expectations. So maybe teams are looking to kind of capitalize on the upward trajectory with him. And maybe he could be another one of these guys, Nathan. I feel like once we start climbing up this board, like we can make that case for a lot of these other names that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks is that because of that slim margin of talent, like guys have the potential to outplay where teams are going to take them. And it happens every year, but I feel like this draft class in particular you're going to see that like you're going to see a few second round guys in this year's draft class that teams are going to be like, how do we let him slide? And it's going to there's going to be people like us who are going to have guys in the second round that outperform their spot. And we're going to be like, well, here's why. But we're going to miss, too. Right. And I feel like a Cherquavion Smith, a Blake Wesley, a Josh Minot, a Leonard Miller, like these are all t- the types of prospects that certain people can be higher on because there are things to like about them. But with Terquavion Smith, like it's the frame, it's the penetration ability. Like how much do I trust him on the defensive end? Like a lot of what you, a lot of what people are going to have him at is simply due to projection. And, but what's that projection based on, you know, like that's why I have him where I do. So I was not sold on Terquavion Smith a yeah. few weeks ago. Then you see Raphael put him in the lottery and I go, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> now we got to go look, right? <laughs> Then I have a conversation with a man who is much smarter than I am, much more experienced evaluating young talent than I am. I will not reveal his name yet. Hopefully we are able to get him on a podcast over the next month or so. Um, But I posed questions to him and the majority of my questions came back to the fact that I don't believe he's a point guard. I think when I've seen him on film trying to do things that you would expect your quote unquote point guard to do, he becomes a deer in headlights and he's not sure where to go with the ball or what type of decision to make. But if he just has the green light to go out there and do what he does best, which is shoot the lights out of the basketball, Mm -hmm. he's incredibly dynamic, Steven. And I think if you just, if you strip away the positional context to his game, what he has that you can't, you can't always teach his confidence in his jump shot is elite. I'm talking about his mental makeup in, in oh, that yeah. aspect of his game is elite. His speed and his quickness are elite. I'm not just using that. I, I you know, I don't throw that word. Yeah. You, if I you're say not that, flippant. yeah, if I say that, I believe it, they are elite. And the way that this man posed the question to me was that how many guys in the NBA do we have who actually have that combination, Right who have not only the confidence, but also the jump shot to back up that confidence and that type of speed and quickness and burst that we can pair together. It's really not that many NBA guys when you try and sit down and look at it. Like Jordan Poole was used as as an example. Like I can think of Tyrese Maxey for the 76ers this year, like that combination of speed and shooting ability, like guards who can do that, who can change the game, regardless of what their positional fit quote unquote looks like. They're game changers, man. They're absolute game changers. And I think for that reason, he's 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 definitely a first rounder for me. This is probably the only okay. guy I think I this is the only guy I think we're really gonna have disagreement with, but I'm not 
coming at you to say this, like you should definitely come around to my line of thinking because I was literally where you were like a week and a half, two weeks ago. And I think I had to strip away that positional context. And I really had to look at your Quavian just from a pure skill standpoint. And you have to go, how many players offer this combination? And if they do offer this combination, what do they look like in the NBA? And they are dynamic. I mean, dynamic players in the NBA. So I think that's why a lot of people have agreed with the discourse that's out there over the last few weeks of like, why isn't this guy being talked about as a lottery pick? There are plenty of guys on draft Twitter who we could point to and are like, now this is somebody you should have been in on sooner. I think it's more so you and I just didn't prioritize watching a ton of NC state film in the second half of the year. We got the, <laughs> Correct. we got, we got the on Sebron looks and we're like, this is, this is really what we came here to see. We did not expect to see Jaquavion Smith have multiple 20 plus 30 plus point games and explode the way that he did. It's, it's just one of those things where when you actually have time to go back and dig in on some of these guys, it's, a, it's funny how your evaluation can change. And it's especially funny how it can change when you just, you have a conversation with somebody else who just knows how to paint the picture so eloquently. And that's, that's what happened with me. I don't know if maybe me saying some of these things to you, maybe if that changes your outlook a little bit, I don't know, but that's, that's where I'm at with Travian Smith. He's guaranteed top 30 for me in terms of how high I put him. I haven't figured that out yet, but I can, I can assure you he's, he is rocketing up my board. Well, and here's the thing, Nathan, like prior to being um, picked up by no ceilings, I believe it was either in January or February on my Stephen G hoops newsletter. I had Turquavion Smith as like kind of like an early to mid thirties prospect like months ago, but going back and look at some of these other players that I think offer kind of the same thing, like he, they may not have like his speed, um, but definitely like the shot diet where they get their shots from. We're going to talk about these guys, you know, in the coming yeah, he, he, he doesn't He doesn't defend like some of these guys. He doesn't even have the yep. body as some of these guys. I think exactly. I think he has grown. I think he's 6'4", which would be excellent for like the Jordan Poole yep. type of comparison um, that this person, the person gave me. I had to think about it, but I'm like, if that's the type of player he could be, like, that's great. There's but value. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, he, he does. He, he has a ways to go before he can be that type of player, which I think is your point in, in all of it, why you have him where you do and like, that's a fair point. I can't disagree with that point. It's more so like this, this is a player where I get much more comfortable being imaginative about him. And like, sure. it's not, it's not terribly difficult to picture him getting to that dynamic type of level for me. And, and, and that's all fine and good. And that's where I, I love where we get the discourse and the difference of draft yes, philosophy, because no one's perfect. No one's got it all figured out yet. Or, you know, we would have NBA jobs right now, but you know, big things are coming for all the guys here. And no ceilings, but we'll move on. I kind of alluded to this prospect in our Blake Wesley breakdown where we were talking about guys who I love at the guard going. at the guard spot who offer point of attack defense, who can make good decisions with the ball in their hand, who can penetrate and who defend at a terrifying level. Um, I'm talking about this guy. I have him 46, like even just visualizing it, like I may end up scooting him higher as much as I would love to say that my boards are finalized by now. Um, Kevin McCuller is just a guy that I've kind of arrived to the party late on. And upon one deep dive, um, you know, I've obviously I've seen him throughout the year. Um, he's one of these guys that for whatever for whatever reason, the priority level, as much as I would love to say that I've spent equal amount of time on every prospect up until this point, it's impossible to do that for me. You know, so um, based on priorities and where I ended up watching guys where I saw him earlier. I felt like he's a more he's a prospect that I can watch later on in the season 
and and feel comfortable doing that i was wrong you know like i've i've gone back and watched him i love the defense that i'm seeing I, you, you know you have to you have to prioritize watching him though to really get a grasp yeah. for every little thing that he brings to the table so i think that you're you're in a camp that i'm sure a lot of people are in mm-hmm. a camp of and like if, if somebody's out there and they listen to this podcast or they read something that somebody's writing like they might go back and watch some of the same things and change their opinion and do the same thing that, that you did with your big board. So I, I, I don't, I don't fault you at all. He is, he's not going to stand out like a Terrence Shannon Jr. For example, on Texas tech, he's it, it's nuanced. Yeah. It's different. And, and here's the thing. Like if I'm doing it, like I would like to think that, you know, I'm not the smartest guy out there, but I would like to think that if I have done this, there's probably folks listening and watching it right now, Nathan, that have done the same thing. So like I would advise them, to invest a little bit of time like you're not going to watch like a supreme bucket getter or someone who's got like the beautiful step back jumper or anything like that but for a prospect who says that he has modeled aspects of his game after Marcus Smart I see a lot of like young Antonio Daniels in his game but obviously a little bit bigger if you look at their measurements Kevin McCuller is just a guy that I'm high on Um, the offense the biggest thing for him as a guard like Blake Wesley is a consistent jump shot like something that you feel confident and comfortable with off of multiple levels. Like as a guard, depending on the team that you go to, you're not afforded the opportunity just to be like a standing in the corner jump shot guy. Like you got to be able to make plays with the ball in your hands off of pick and rolls. I like him in that role. I don't love him. But if, you know, Corey Toloba kind of told us that if you imagine him as like a Bruce Brown in the NBA, love that. Like a guy that you're comfortable with making plays out of the short role, um, t- terrific defender and rebounder for his position. I think that you could get that from a, Ke- a Kevin McCuller right now today, um, you know, April 24th at 8.27 p.m. Eastern time. I'm comfortable with taking him at 46, and that number might actually increase, Nathan, uh, th- which is why I have Blake Wesley a little bit lower, be- lower because Kevin McCuller exists in the same draft class. Yeah, I, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on McCuller as we close out this podcast. I think the thing for me, you you did a brilliant job illustrating a lot of the defensive points. I've kind of said this before, and I even said it when you and I were talking yesterday, is that I, mm-hmm. I think this guy's going to be a monster team defender in the NBA. When you get to the NBA level, it's not as much about um, one-on-one type of defense. It's about starring in your role as a team defender and being very cohesive and communicative with everybody else around you, the caller is going to nail that out of the park at the size that he's at with the length that he has, with the motor that he has, all he really needs to show in my opinion is that he can knock down open three point shots or he's trusted to knock down open perimeter shots when he has them, or he can attack closeout. just, just something to keep the defense off balance when the ball is swung around to him to give him some sort of offensive value to justify having him out there for everything he does on defense because defense mm-hmm. He's he, man, the, the, we're talking about a guy who could sneak up in one day. Maybe, who knows? Maybe he's on like an all defense team one yeah. day. Like I'm not, not going to rule that out for somebody like McCuller. That's why I know CJ Marchesani um, has been very high on him throughout this entire process. If you mm-hmm. want to, if you want to listen and, and read more about McCuller, you can absolutely go look up what CJ is doing on social media. Um, but yeah, there's a reason for it. I think he only needs to show and prove a certain level of offensive value to hold on to like a starter spot in the NBA or like high minutes, like seventh or eighth man in a rotation value. I think he's, he's one of these guys who we're going to look back and was taken in, in the second round or possibly even go undrafted. And he's going to be sticking around a lot longer than some of these other guys that we're talking about. We're all going to be kicking ourselves 
um, why we didn't have him ranked if we didn't have him ranked or ranked as highly as we thought. So you are, you're very smart to put him where you did on your board. I, I don't know if you necessarily have to move him up further to justify like, yeah. you, you being in on McCuller, but I think just having him in this range is a very smart move um, for you. And I can, I can definitely assure you that I'm going to be doing the same thing with McCuller. He was always going to be a top 60 guy for me. I just, I wanted to see where some of the names fell in terms of guys being in the draft. Yeah. Now that we have a, a lay of the land when by the time my big board update comes out and people are listening to me talk about my board, I can assure you McCullough is going to be there for me as well. Yeah. And he's a guy that I might have to cool myself down on because I can kind of fall for his player type, you know, like yep. there's a lot to love. And, you know, if you love high energy, high effort, high motor guys, like McCullough is your guy, but you also have to kind of look at him with a sobering lens and say, he does have to improve things on the offensive end, which is, that's a big part of being a guard in the NBA. Like as yep. much as we love defense at that position, like Matisse Tybel, like as much as we love him for his defensive abilities, and Nathan, you know this more so than than most people. Like the reason he doesn't get as much playing time as everyone likes is because we, we got to figure some stuff out on the offensive end. And both of these guys, McCuller, Tybel, still like can still find their way on the court and make improvements on that offensive end. But their defense is what's going to get them on the floor. And again, if you're getting drafted in the late first, you know, to second round, you're only going to get playing time if you don't get beat on the floor. And that's where I think that McCuller is going to be able to prove his worth there. And right now, Nathan, we're at the last prospect. We're closing it off. Let's start things or let's end things with a bang because the center position in this draft class, first off, is, is deep. And I feel like that's kind of like an, uh, an unsung aspect of this draft class. I feel like getting this player where, you, where I have him now is tremendous value. But I feel like there are guys who have higher upsides at, I would say, more uh, tantalizing positions. Not saying that the center isn't important. I actually have the Weekend Warriors releasing on a Monday this week, and we're going to be covering a center prospect. And I talk about one of the feature parts in that article is called the center of intention. <laughs> and that's talking about, uh, you know, just how people look at the center position and what, what worth does it have? And the ever elusive quote that you can always get a center somewhere else. Like they're easily replaceable, like the value of a replacement for centers, every other aspect of a center that you can talk about, like, you can talk yourself out of wanting a center. And I think that you're going to see that in this draft class. But at 45, I have Walker Kessler, the big man out of Auburn. And there are going to be some people that have this man in the lottery. And I acknowledge that and understand that. And to me, it's like, what flavor of a big man do you like? And if you like a drop big who might offer some kind of switchability or comfortability out on an isolation every once in a while, Okay, like first off, Walker Kessler had a historic blocking percentage season this year. Like he was tied with, um, you know, Larry Sanders, who played for VCU. It's tied at 18.8% blocking percentage, which that dates back to the Bartorvik database, which began in, I think, in 2008. So historic blocking season this year for Walker Kessler. Um, there are things to like and dislike about him on the offensive yep. end. Even on the defensive end, as much as a stellar standout as he was, he did play alongside Jabari Smith Jr., who, again, is another elite defensive prospect in this year's draft class. So how much of, depending on the team that gets him, like one being a drop big limits, like your value, I feel like, in the league. Like not every team has a like a defensive scheme 
to where you can just put in any drop big and you succeed. So to me, that kind of decreases his value a little bit. Um, he is he is somewhat athletic. Like I'm not going <laughs> to do the 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 type of you know the classic white adage of he's sneaky athletic. He's somewhat athletic. Sure. And but for his position, I think that he's athletic in the ways that you would like to see um, at, for a center. So I don't value him as much as I'll run down the list here. You know, obviously Chet Holmgren, Jalen Duran, Mark Williams. But then you get into the conversation of Ishmael Kamagate, Christian Coloco, and Walker Kessler. Um, obviously, I think he's in the tier above guys like Jalen Williams and players like that. But me personally, what I value in a center like, I think that he can give you some value. I don't know if I necessarily would spend a first-round pick on him in particular, which is why I have him kind of like in this middle second-round range. He, he's a guy he really needs to fit into what your team wants to do. Um, there's really – you can judge these bigs defensively off three things. Can you be the guy who is great to borderline elite at having guys funneled to you and making a mm-hmm. play on the ball like that, like drop coverage, for example, or pick and roll? Are you one of these bigs who can go out and go to somebody and guard them, a.k.a. your switchability? Or are you the very rare big who can possibly do both things? Uh, Kessler is absolutely that first big. And if he doesn't provide the offensive value that you want from him, i.e. the jump shot isn't coming around the way that you want it to, if he's only a play finisher, but he's not even like one of these elite 70 plus percent two-point play finishers like a Mark Williams, there are ways where his case can break down very quickly. Um, but if you scheme around him defensively in the correct way and you are very comfortable playing in that drop system, his block rates were enormous. If you get a body into him, he's not going to let you get the shot off. He is absolutely elite at that part yep. of his game. And he proved that. If you don't believe me when I use the word elite, go watch the film, see for yourself. He's absolutely fantastic. But that style of defense does not suit every NBA team. That's not what they want to do. And if we're talking about using a first round pick on somebody, you have to play more to their strengths than them playing to your strengths. That's not always the best argument for an NBA team to give a first round pick to. So I don't, I value Kessler higher than Mm -hmm. you do, but probably higher in the second round at this point, not necessarily in the first round. I think there's more intriguing bets at this point that I'd like to make on in that range. So Again, that 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 player who is so context dependent, it's 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 getting harder and harder to justify using a first round pick on them just given where the game's going. Yeah. And I mean, if you're looking at him in comparison with the other bigs in this class, like do you put him above any of them in terms of like a second jump or above the rim finishing, anything like that? Like I certainly don't. Like he has the physical tools to finish above the rim, but he's not as like an explosive of an athlete, but you know, a guy who you trust to kind of use his length a little bit and body positioning to get himself a look. Sure. Like that's why I value him where I do. Like he, there's obviously some other names that I've said multiple times could outplay where I have them drafted. Walker Kessler could very well be that same yep. level of player. Right. So I, I do understand what he brings to a team. I do understand that he has some staying power. Um, even at maybe that's worth a higher pick. But again, you know, yeah, big, you it's, not, it's not like big men can't be like lottery picks, right? Like Chet, yeah. like Chet Duran and even Mark Williams, I think are all likely to be lottery picks. But what separates them is that they fall into that later category. They can go out to guys. They can also mm-hmm. hold their own when guys come to them. Um, all three of them have that capability. The other guys that you talked about, 
Kamigate is much more of a I'm going to go to you type of guy. And then yep. Coloco and Kessler are, are the drop style bigs. So the, when you don't have the versatility to be able to offer positive value consistently in both aspects, it gets a little tougher to make a case when there are so many other wings or guards that you can also bet on. Yeah, especially when you think that they might have higher outcomes to where, sure, let's take a risk, let's take a gamble on the high outcome of this guy, where Walker Kessler might be a safer pick. Could be Brooke Lopez 2.0 and provide like that top 20 value. But or, or a, where he doesn't. Yeah, or like a Rigo Bear. But it, like you just said, and it like is the foot speed quick enough to keep in front of some of these, you know, guards and wings out there? You know, do you trust his leaping ability? Like, sure, he's tall, right? Like, and has great wingspan, but do you trust like his leaping ability and physicality at the next level? Like, those are all questions that, that he'll need to answer. And again, very well could answer those questions and then yeah. some at the next level. So, Nathan, before we close out, I'll just run through this list of prospects again, just real quick. 45 to 60, I'm not going to repeat the number. I'll just say the name. So starting at 45, have Walker Kessler, Kevin McCuller, Terquavion Smith, Blake Wesley, Jordan Hall, Josh Minot, Leonard Miller, J.D. Davison, Hugo Basson, Jalen Williams, Iverson Molinar, Ron Harper Jr., Julian Champagny, Jabari Walker, Tevin Brown, and wrapping it up at 60, Young Jung Lee. That's an excellent 45 through 60, Stephen. I'm proud of you. We made it through. I'm glad that we're going to be doing this on a week-to-week basis because how many other podcasts are able to go in depth like that for, for a podcast episode? And they're breaking down their big board. It's one thing for us to run through a big board, but it's another one we're able to break it up into segments and actually talk about these guys and give an evaluation that justifies the, the number next to them because it's not always about the number with you and I. It's about getting the evaluation right. Yep. And I think this allows us to definitely make sure we're prioritizing the, the latter half uh, of that. So I thank you for wanting to come on and then share that part of your board with us. I'm excited to keep doing this with you for three more weeks, run into the rest of your board. But until then, we're, we're, we're definitely cutting this podcast for now. But Stephen, yep. let the audience know where they can find you, man. Do all your plugs. Yeah, for sure. So um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's where I'm the most active. You can follow me at Stephen G Hoops. That's Stephen with a PH, the letter G, and then Hoops. Uh, my written work, you can find at noceilingsnba.com. Again, the Weekend Warrior is going to have a Monday morning uh, showing where we're going to be talking about a prospect who has declared for the draft, Nathan. I feel like I can safely actually spoil a little bit who I'm going to be talking about. But again, you know, who knows what's going to happen by the time you listen to this and, 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 you know, when that article comes out, but Walker Kessler, the guy that I just wrapped up with at 45, I make the case for him being a draft pick and I do speak glowingly of him. So if you feel like I'm low on him, please go read that written work because I do understand the aspects of the game that he can contribute at an NBA level and outperform where I have him currently on my big board. But also within that article, you know, Nathan, I've been keeping up with the players who have been early entrance in the draft not every single one of them but the ones that I feel like you're going to see on draft night they're all there uh players that are transferring like major prospects uh again in my opinion who are transferring uh from one school to another and the players that have already done so you know including players like Kendrick Davis uh you know players like that so that's all in there and again you know you can always hear me on draft deeper here with uh Nathan Grubel and shout out to our producer Kevin Black, who's the best in the business. And Nathan, we're going to be ramping things up here, aren't we? 
We are. So three episodes a week from now all the way through to the draft, as we said at the top. So definitely make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper and make sure you're following No Ceilings NBA at No Ceilings NBA on Twitter, NoCeilingsNBA.com. Make sure you are subscribed. We will continue to ramp up and pump out content all the way through the draft cycle. You do not want to be anywhere else but with the no ceilings crew for the 2022 NBA draft. And also real quick, Nathan, we have a major product or excuse me, a show that's going to be debuting on our YouTube channel with the, it's a brainchild of Corey Tulba and uh, Tyler Rucker. It's going to be an epic show. It's going to be debuting on our YouTube channel at no ceilings uh, TV on YouTube. If you need the link to that, go to the at no ceilings NBA on Twitter to the link tree. You can follow that there or you can search it as well, but major show that's going to be dropping on our youtube channel as well it will be out as will steven's written piece by the time you're listening to this podcast so definitely make sure you're plugged in and stay tuned for more incredible content we got jacob polachek coming on the show this week Mm -hmm. some overtime elite cannot wait for that one because i need help understanding that that situation so and then chuck from chucking darts Get, get mm. your popcorn out for that podcast. We know it's going three hours. It always is. But yeah. at the same time, there's nobody better for long-form discussion than Chuck. We're going to get some of his guys for the 2022 draft cycle as well. So make sure you're subscribed, locked in. But for now, thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Later, everybody. 